Well, good morning, church, and welcome again this morning. As we continue in our series in Galatians, we're going to try to tackle almost two chapters worth of content in less than about 30 minutes. So who's up for a bit of a challenge this morning? I want to begin by providing a bit of context to the book of Galatians as we get going. Paul's letter to the Galatians was a letter written, in fact, to a number of churches in Galatia and specifically to the church in Antioch. Galatia was an area that Paul traveled to on his missionary journeys. And if you want to understand a bit more of the history of that, I'd encourage you to read in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Paul's main area of concern here and what is at the heart of his letter to the churches in Galatia was to stop allowing these religious leaders who were dividing the church. These controversial leaders known commonly as the Judaizers were zealously committed to seeing the Jewish ancestral practices of Torah observance upheld. Essentially, this meant that they were wanting to see the following that were laid out in the Old Testament continue in their day. Things like circumcision and eating kosher and observing the Sabbath. They were more zealous for these things than living according to the teachings of Christ. The book of Galatians reminds the church to embrace and follow the gospel message of the crucified Messiah. And as we'll see from our passage this morning, the, the requirement for non-Jewish Christians become, to become Torah observers, to be circumcised or to eat kosher, well, it completely misses the point. You see, Jesus alone fulfills the laws of Torah and justifies believers. Let's pray this morning, church. Jesus, we do thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you have done. And I pray, Father, as we dive into your word this morning, that you would speak to each one of us uniquely and that we would be changed because of an encounter with you, Jesus, the living Messiah. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Our first point this morning, as you follow along in your sermon notes, is that, that Paul was called by God. Let me read for us, beginning in verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father's. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. What Paul is seeking to do here is to help the church in Galatia understand the context of his conversion. He reminds them again about the circumstances, likely having already told them on his missionary journeys. It's no different with us today how sometimes we need to hear things over and over and over again. But Paul wants to make it clear here that he was called. And there are two takeaways I think we see from this portion of our scripture. The first is that Paul was called 
from a life of sin to a life of service. If you want to understand that a bit more, look at Acts 9. You see, Paul was breathing threats and murder against Christians. He desired nothing more than to persecute followers of the way. But on that road to Damascus, everything changed for this man. The second point I think we can understand from our text this morning is that Paul was called from a life of persecution to a life of preaching. You see, just a few short verses later, as Paul enters into Damascus, he begins to preach. Acts 9 verse 20 records, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. Paul wasted very little time beginning to use his gifts and his abilities to make Jesus known. To make known the good news of the gospel, this life-transforming, life-changing, resurrection power of Jesus. You see, church, when, when God calls people, he always calls them from something to something. The scriptures are full of this imagery from death to life, from darkness to light, from lost to found. The imagery of a calling is always something from something and to something. 2 Timothy 1.9 reminds us, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. You see, here in 2 Timothy, it's saying that we're called from unholiness to holiness. So let me ask you this question, church, this morning. What has God called you from? And what is he calling you to? I want you to think about that for a minute. In the beginning of chapter 2, it begins with Paul sharing his experience up in Jerusalem with Barnabas and Titus. And towards the end of this portion of the chapter, we see Paul conversing with some of the early apostles. We see James and, and Cephas, also known as Peter and John. In verses 9 and 10, we read that these early apostles extended to Paul and to Barnabas the the right hand of fellowship. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, the scriptures say. Essentially, they gave them approval for their calling in ministry to continue to do what God had asked them to do, to share the good news of the gospel. And it's interesting that right at the end of this section, there is one verse, one verse that if you only skim the scripture, you might miss it. Galatians 2 verse 10 says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do, Paul says. And this isn't a throwaway sentence, church, in as much as it's just one verse at the end of a chapter that that otherwise really doesn't speak to justice and mercy. But this is a call. This is a call to remember that the implications and applications of the gospel are not just a call to salvation, but a call to serve. To serve the least of these, the lost, the forsaken, and the poor. 
And it's important for us to realize, church, that these two things cannot be divorced from one another as followers of Jesus. It's just like James 1.27 reminds us. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. There's likely a couple of reasons why this verse appears in this portion of our text this morning. Because the Jerusalem apostles, James and Peter and John, I think wanted to ensure two things. First, it was likely that the church in Jerusalem was more poor than many of the churches that Paul was visiting in his missionary journeys. And so these apostles wanted to ensure that those early Christians in those cities and areas were also going to be well taken care of. The second reason I think I can take out of this statement in the context of this scripture is that care for the poor is a principle found throughout the scriptures. And this ought always to be at the forefront of our minds and how we live as modern-day Christians. But given the times that we are in, how can we serve the least of these? And I want to offer a few practical ideas this morning. First is, is donating your time and energy to our neighborhood hamper ministry, where we've been blessed to be able to provide perishable and non-perishable goods to many families within our immediate Ranchlands community. Maybe shovel your neighbor's sidewalk and driveway, but I am desperately praying that the snow is done. And I hope you can give me an amen wherever you are. Maybe it's continue to donate to ministries and missionaries and organizations that, that you passionately support and that we also support, as Dale mentioned even this morning in our announcements. Maybe it's continue to donate to frontline missions and ministries that are working right here in our city. And lastly, pray. We need to pray, church, in this time. And I know that we can pray together wherever we are. Second point this morning I want to look at from our scriptures is this moment where Paul opposes Peter. Say that five times fast. And in these first ten verses of this chapter, Paul shares about his time spent in Jerusalem, ensuring that the gospel message he was preaching to the Gentiles was in accordance to what the leaders of the Jerusalem church were also teaching. He now also remarks how, how God had given him this mission to preach to the Gentiles, just as God had given Peter that same responsibility to preach the gospel message to the Jews. We read in verse 8, For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostles to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles, Paul says. But here at the midpoint in chapter 2, the scene shifts. It shifts to a close-up of an encounter between Paul and Peter. Peter, this apostle who has since ventured into Antioch to see all these non-Jewish Gentile believers. And I won't spend a significant amount of time in the text this morning, but I want to highlight a few principles of it. Because I think it helps us to better understand some of the deep theological truths that Paul is going to present later in our text. You see, it's important to remember that for the nation of Israel, they held many strict laws. 
surrounding food and eating and, and things to them that were kosher, clean and unclean. Much of how they conducted themselves was focused on what they did outwardly in order to demonstrate their obedience to God. And where at one point Peter was eating and mingling with these non-Jewish Christians, here some of the Jewish opposition group, the Judaizers, as we've learned they are known, they came to Antioch. And, and what happens next? Well, look at our story. Peter caved under pressure. Immediately Peter stopped eating with these Gentile Christians. Peter's pride got the best of him. And now Paul confronts Peter of his hypocrisy. To Paul, Peter had not stayed true to the gospel. Back in verse 9, we see that Peter accepted Paul and his work in preaching the gospel message to the Gentiles, knowing that the gospel wasn't just for these newly converted Jewish followers, but also for the Gentiles. Paul writes in verse 9, In fact, Peter, James, John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Here what happened was Peter was led astray. He was led astray by the culture, by the Judaizers, rather than embracing what he knew deep down to be the truth of the gospel. That it wasn't about any outward sign as the confirmation of conversion. So let me ask you this morning, church, what does it take for us to cave to the pressures of culture rather than holding fast to what the word of God actually says? Seemed like Peter was more concerned about what others thought of him and what others saw in him than doing what God thought. And how often is this true in our lives? How often do we forget what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus? Where we get so easily led astray by the culture around us rather than holding fast to the good news, the gospel that we have heard and believed. Our third point this morning is this understanding of justification by faith. As Paul deals with Peter in his own struggle to live out a life in line with the gospel, he then presents one of the greatest theological truths that we read in his letters. You see, these Judaizers that were leading Peter astray were leading many others astray too. This wasn't the only situation and case that we know. Their theology, their, their religion was not one of salvation by grace through faith alone. Theirs was this false gospel, as Paul alluded to in Galatians 1.6. Theirs was a salvation through Christ plus something. Teaching, if it could even be considered biblical, teaching. And so Paul declares in verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, Paul is adamant that our salvation comes not from a a strict obedience to the law, to the ceremonial, to the sacrificial laws that were understood to be a part of Israel's history. No, Paul is here to proclaim both to the Jew and the Gentile that we are justified, this this legal language that means to, to be made right with God, and that that is done through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus something by which we are justified, by which we are made righteous. You see, this righteousness is by faith alone, through Christ alone. In his commentary on Galatians, Tim Keller remarks that Peter's sin in all of this was essentially a form of nationalism. Peter insisted that that Christians couldn't be truly pleasing to God unless they became Jewish. But you see, nationalism really is just another form of legalism. Keller goes on to say that, that legalism is looking to anything besides Jesus in order to be acceptable and clean before God. You see, that's why for Paul, he's so quick to rebuke Peter earlier in this chapter and why he's so passionate to not just see these Gentile believers led astray by some of these Judaizers in Antioch. And so Paul makes it clear. He makes it clear that our right standing before God is not because of anything that you or I have done. It's not because of how many prayers we've prayed. It's not because of how many sins we've confessed. It's not because of how much we've served God. It's not because of how often we've attended church, although I bet that if church opened next Sunday, we'd probably have one of the biggest attendance Sundays on record. We just, I know we long church to be back here together. It's not because of how many laws we haven't broken. It's not because of how many commandments we've even obeyed. It's not because of any of these works that we are made right with God. Nothing. Nothing. You see, all of our striving is in vain if we think that how we present ourselves outwardly is going to make God love us more. Church, we need to understand that nothing is going to change that love. Nothing. But rather, as Paul puts it in the final verses of our chapter, beginning in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Coming out of our last Sunday of Easter. How fitting is a statement like that? For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for nothing, for no purpose. And we know, church, that he did. 
that he had a purpose. Christ's death on the cross that we celebrated and journeyed through from Good Friday to Easter Sunday last week had a purpose. You see, church, Christ came to seek and save the lost and to bring us back into right relationship again with God the Father. That Christ's righteousness would be imputed, that it would be credited, again, this legal language, but it, it would be given to us. I know that's not a word maybe we use much anymore, church, but I love the significance and the imagery of Christ's righteousness being imputed to us. And feel free to Google it if you need to learn more. But it's that same legal language that we looked at earlier when we looked more closely at what it meant to be made right, what it meant to be justified. You see, God made a way. God made a way for us to be in right relationship with him again. And it happened through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. This is the power of of the gospel. You see, this is what Paul was contending for, passionately contending for in these two chapters that we've just journeyed through. That Jews, Greeks, us in our modern day context would know the gospel. We would know the saving message of Jesus Christ and that we would live it out to its fullest, in its fullest and richest form that we would all know, just like Paul, that we were called from something to something. Again, from death to life, from darkness to light, from lost to found. Let us this morning, church, not turn to any other gospel, any other message, any other claim, any other truth, And instead this morning, church, let us hold fast to that which we have received from Christ. The great hope that we have in the gospel. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for the gospel, the saving message of Jesus what he did for us to bring us back into right relationship, that which Paul was contending as he preached among the people in Galatia. To not run to any other gospel, to any other claim, to any other truth outside of the truth we know to believe and to hold in you. Jesus, I pray this morning that we would find our purpose and calling in you and in you alone. Knowing, Jesus, that you have called us from something to something. And I pray this week, as we go about our routines and our lives in whatever form and fashion they now look like, that we would go with the gospel, sharing and proclaiming it because of the power it has in our lives. And we thank you for it. And we pray this all in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.